guys, my name is Raya and this is Was That Good For You, a podcast all about sex and relationships. We cover everything from kinks to long distance dating to interracial dating and everything in between. Uh, today's topic is going to be trauma and sex and relationships. Um, today's guest is... Jiminika Eborn. And you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Yeah, totally. So... Um, I'm also known as the trauma queen. If you Google me, um, I started working in mental health. Uh, this is my 12th, maybe 13th year. Counting is hard. Wow. Um, uh, working in mental health. I went to school to be a therapist and decided I don't want to be a therapist. So I technically have three classes to go if I want it to be. Um, and then I transitioned into sexuality education because I wanted to talk about fun things that were always evolving. And then I got there and was like, oh, shit, what do I do here? But luckily, (laughs) there wasn't a lot of people talking about trauma, which people think is strange is my jam. Um, And so I was able to continue doing what I loved in just like a different group of individuals. So it's been really amazing. And I am still in awe every day that I get to do something that I truly love. It's insane that you've been in the space for so long because I have been in it a lot shorter of a time and even in like the few years that I've been kind of in like the sex and relationship space it's like it's insane how much it's constantly changing so I can't even imagine over 10 years how much change you've seen in just relationships and the way that people communicate with each other and and how sex has changed when it comes to on a cultural level and a societal level I'm sure that's been just like wild um it's kind of i mean i'm a black queer woman so it's kind of like oh finally (laughs) it's like oh finally look at y'all getting it we've been waiting we've just been waiting i love that um that's amazing and it's actually funny you say that you're three classes away because i am one elective off of my degree so i just i still count it i feel like we did all the legwork for it listen Listen, we deserve. I'm actually in my last class for health psychology, my master's in health psychology. So I'm like, listen, I'll finish this one. (laughs) Nice. Love that. Um, So one of the first things I wanted to jump into, because I I, we've talked about a lot of different um, things on this podcast. But one thing we definitely have not really touched on at all is trauma. So I'm just really curious about kind of how why you decided to jump into that space specifically once you decided you wanted to be kind of in the sex space yeah so uh background story um i'm gonna say a hard thing everyone okay breathe so i was (laughs) raped my third year of college um and that spiraled me into drinking and partying and not telling anyone and not knowing how to cope yeah um and eventually i got kicked out of school and i was like oh thank god best thing ever um (laughs) and i and this is you know i say this to people and they're like oh i get it i'm a gemini and i'm like i need to do a billion things at one time um and so i opened a vintage clothing store and i became a rape crisis counselor wow (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Two and very and I also things. was still going to school. It it's a lot. Um and then from there it was that job and it was all volunteer work. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night if I got a call. I was the pers- first person that was there in the hospital with you with complete strangers after you assaulted. It was the most humbling thing I've ever done. Wow. The most beautiful thing that I ever got to do and I was good at it. Like yeah. I was good at showing up for people. And I wanted to just keep doing it. Yeah. 
and then like in sex, like people are always talking about pleasure and vibrators and lubes and dildos and great. I love all that stuff. Got a whole bunch in my house. <laughs> but what about the things that stop us from really enjoying this stuff or yeah. like getting to that part? And I was like, well, no one's really talking about that. There's like a few people, but like here and there, but like I wanted to focus on that, which kind of worked out. Do you um, feel and like- it's been amazing. Do you feel like taking on that energy and and all of that from other people affects you ever negatively or your relationships? Um, I don't think it affects relationships. I think it affects me, so maybe my self-relationship. Yeah. Because just like anything, like holding that much space for people yeah. can be hard. Um, and so I <laughs> go to therapy twice a month. And I have learned to like really listen to my body. I use my weighted blanket. I go to the gym. Um, so I've learned how to also take care of myself. Right. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing this all this long. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one, one of the questions I wanted to ask was, obviously, I think it's important on a personal level. Um, but how does our past trauma affect our intimate relationships? I think it varies per person. Um, things that can come up is struggling with trust, struggling with touch, with vulnerability, yeah. and then actual like sex. I think I think everyone's journey is different. Um, and then sometimes you just go numb and you're not even present in your body. You dissociate. So it varies. And I wish there was just like one one chart and be like, how are you feeling? You're right. probably on this spectrum. Right. Like, who knows? And you could be going through like 20 things at one time. Well, that's the thing, too. I feel like sometimes people don't even equate the two. Like, they maybe – I've had friends who were like, I might be asexual. And, and maybe they are, but it's like maybe they are are haven't dealt with some past trauma or something that's, like, affecting their intimacy and relationships. And I think it's it's hard for people to equate those two things, especially, I think, for women who kind of – have this like societal pressure to be this like ultra feminine like sensual it's like we're i feel like i'm constantly sometimes battling with like is that can i say this like is it sex like is it going to ruin the mood is it sexy and like Mm -hmm. unfortunately like sometimes those things still just like need to be talked about or else you're never going to be able to enjoy pleasure and experience those things yeah, I think it I think it can be tricky because I think all another thing that people forget is sex starts in the brain. Yeah. So if you are in your head and you're like overthinking or something else has come up, it can really throw everything off. And I, I definitely have met people and they're like, I don't know if this is trauma or if I'm asexual or or is it or is it what? Right? Yeah. Um and I think those are definitely things that people need to sit down and like explore. And once like I talk to people and I start asking them questions, they're like, oh, oh, oh. Or even (laughs) a lot of people have had trauma and have suppressed it so much that they don't even think about it anymore. So when it does come up, it's kind of like a surprise for them. Yeah, absolutely. So can, on that note, like can trauma be defined? Like is there there even an answer to the question, what is trauma? Because I, I have been very fortunate in the sense that I don't think I've experienced any um, really, really uh, life-changing traumatic things in my life. Um, But on the other hand, it's like I've been in 
emotionally abusive relationships when I was younger. And I'm sure that I have like mommy issues that are deep rooted that we don't need to fully get into on this episode. But like things that are, I guess, taken, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, like less seriously um, as some of the more like more things that you immediately equate with like trauma. It's like can can things like a young relationship with like an an older man who you know was slightly emotionally abusive or a string of of men or women who were reckless with my feelings can those be considered trauma definitely because trauma is considered any incident that caused you physical emotional spiritual or psychological harm like there is no again there's no, there is no one way that it looks yeah um i hate when people are like well that's not trauma like I personally do not believe that anyone in this world is unscathed from having some type of trauma right. and because there's different levels of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's the human experience. I mean, where you have to deal with other humans and sometimes that's not always, that can be traumatic. <laughs> <sighs> it really is. Like, if it, like going through Instagram can be traumatic. Yeah. Honestly, like I know I've scrolled through and be like, is that a body? Ah, what? What what is this? Yeah, absolutely. Or like I we've talked a lot on the podcast about uh, social media and how that like affects our relationships. And I think that um, there have been times in my life when I've been very insecure or, you know, girlfriends and stuff like that, who for no other reason uh, than hurting their own feelings are just like scrolling years back on like their boyfriend's Instagram or like stalking that person's mm-hmm. ex. And it's like you're looking at these photos of like a life with someone you love now and like their previous life with someone. And it's like, you're like almost traumatizing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's some people that, you know, uh, people use the term sometimes trauma junkies um, and like chase the trauma allegedly, um, which is really interesting. I mean, I, I think I may be a little bit of a trauma junkie, like, yeah. <laughs> and the sense of like, the I was like that, yes, yes. <laughs> I was like, me. we were just talking about watching Grey's Anatomy. I'm like, how do I get in my feelings and yeah. be sad? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, it, it's a thing. That's so interesting. Cause I feel like, I feel like I know a lot of women who could probably be considered trauma junkies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and all of that and all of those things, everything we're kind of talking about, like whether it's social media or like dating someone who is emotionally abusive or as far as um, assault, all of that affects our. Do you believe that all of that affects our love life inadvertently? I think it can. I think because a lot of times if you are a survivor, you are constantly on guard. Yeah. Um, because we were betrayed by someone in our life, because again, most assaults happen by someone that you know. So now you are questioning yourself, you're questioning, you know, your intuition, the way you move, the people around you. And I actually just put out some workbooks talking about like how to relearn how to trust yourself and trust other people. Yeah. Because it's really hard to, I mean, we do not know these people around us. And I always say like, you will never know anyone else a hundred percent. Right. And so we are constantly like questioning things. Um, I mean, I do it myself sometimes. Like as long as I've been doing this work and as much work as I do on myself, I, I sometimes I'm like, am I, am I making this up? Is this real? Is this something I should check into? Um, and what I say sometimes and what I offer to other people is if you're feeling this way, if you have like someone you can check in with that knows you well, like a therapist or like I check in with my best friend a lot, that's my person. And I'm like, okay, here's the thing. What do you think? Am I tripping? And like, 
you need sometimes to have that outside voice to support whatever is going on. Yeah, absolutely. So is it, I mean, we've talked a little bit about it's, it's possible that like underlying issues from trauma can be affecting the way that we love or the way that we are intimate and we don't even know it. So how do you, how do you kind of figure that out? If you feel like you, something in your relationships are missing or you're finding yourself emotionally unavailable or whatever it is and you are unsure if it's connected to something from your past. I mean, how do you, how are you able to connect those two? Is that where someone like you who's a specialist comes in and, and can kind of help like figure out that path? Um, yeah, I, I think for me, it's a lot of, again, we've talked about <laughs> psychology and like, that's like my background. I know a lot of it is internal processing, right? That you sometimes have to do externally. Yeah. So starting to ask questions and starting to look at your past and then unpacking backwards until present day. I think is really helpful. Um, talk therapy is great. Some people don't like talk therapy. Somatic therapy is great because we also hold trauma within our bodies. Yeah. And sometimes releasing that can release other things. Um, EMDR is great. So it helps to like rewire your brain and different stuff like that, I think is really great. And all of these different things, you can do them separately, you can do them all together, is really helpful with having yourself to recall the things maybe you've been suppressing to then figure out how we work on it. So there's a lot of going backwards before you go forward. Right, right. And I guess the person just kind of has to be open to to doing that. Yeah, which is, it's really hard because once you start processing things, for me, this is what I tell people, once you start processing, that is when the hard shit starts Yeah, because you are recanting and you are having to sit down and there's going to be tears and anger and all these things, but knowing that at the end of it, it's going to be better. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sometimes when you're going through it, people are like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's where I'd be. I'd be like, is this, wor- is this worth it? Are we sure this is worth it? But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's real. So do you ever work with couples or are you mostly doing like one-on-one? I feel like I, 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 I guess I'm curious as to whether if you're already in a relationship and you know you want to make it work, but there are these kind of underlying issues that are that are hindering growth. It's like, is that something that you can work on with your partner or does it does it kind of need to be something you work on on your own? I think both. I think, you know, navigating like how to find your voice. Yeah. Um, I think is super important as a survivor and then navigating that with your partner, because that's another thing, having someone to show up for you um, and the ways that support you. So I think you have to kind of figure out what's going on with you to ha- include them in with you. Yeah. But also I think it's really important for whoever you're sharing a bed with your body, your time, your energy to also know some things. So I have, uh, I actually have like a workbook and I'm revamping it for like how to support the survivor in your life. Because a lot of people don't know. Yeah. And maybe they haven't been assaulted and they're like, uh, I just I just want to try and I keep trying, but I keep messing up. And I'm like, yeah, what have you done though? Like, do you just keep saying it's okay? Because right. that's not going to help. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> there, there are ways, but I would definitely say yes. Yes. Doing it for yourself, doing it for people. I have done things separately. I haven't, I have kind of pulled back a little bit from doing one-on-one stuff and I might go back towards it this year. Yeah. Um, but it can be helpful if people want to really invest and show up Yeah. and acknowledging that it's hard work. Like it's not 
a one hour thing and be like, everything is fixed. Like, no, because it's been over time. Um, it's it's interesting that you are working with couples because one thing that I, I've been talking about a lot lately is couples therapy because I feel like so I'm 26 and I feel like with the women in my life who are around that same that like millennial age couples therapy for there. I mean, I live in L.A., which can sometimes be a bubble because, you know, pe- more people are kind of like on the same wavelength of like my beliefs and and. And understanding that mental health is just as important as physical health and all that. But one thing that's still, I feel like, very stigmatized is couples therapy in young couples. I feel like a lot of times people, I know, everyone I know is in therapy. But the second, I, you know, someone hears that, like, a couple that's been together for two years and they're, like, 25 or in couples therapy, people kind of side-eye that a little bit. I'm not necessarily sure why, though. I think couples therapy is great. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times people put therapy in a category of if you're going to therapy, things must be awful or it's wrong or you're not doing your best. I think that's the total opposite. Like going to therapy is showing up for yourself and saying like, this is something that we cherish and maybe we need help. Yeah. Um, And I think with millennials... Um, yeah, I'm still a millennial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had to count <laughs> There's my age. always that like um, thing where you're like you're like doing the numbers in your head, and you're like, "What am I again?" I don't even know. I'm <laughs> I'm barely making it. I'm human. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of things with millennials is we are thinking a little bit more, right? Like yeah. we are doing that. Like, well, maybe we do need help. Right. Like <laughs> a lot of us have seen how our parents have done it and been like, well, that shit was awful. Right. Is that, there another way? Didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we are stepping back and people are like, oh, I really love this person. Maybe we should do couples therapy to make sure like we are doing things appropriately and we are strong and all this kind of stuff. I think that's great. Yeah. And it makes so much sense because I feel like I've, I always make the joke that I f- on the days when I'm going to therapy and I'm kind of like not dreading it, but, you know, life gets in the way and sometimes it gets put on the back burner when you're not necessarily dealing with a very specific issue. And I'll be like, ah, I have nothing to talk about today. And those are the days that I like come out and my like throat hurts because I talked so much or it was like this very groundbreaking thing. You never really know kind of what's going to come out in that session. Um And so I always say that, like, even if you don't have something very specific going on in your life that you feel like I need therapy, it's nice to kind of just like be going in. Like you said, you only go twice, twice a month. It's like some people think it has to be like this, you know, twice a week thing or something. It's like sometimes you just need a tune up. You just need someone to to hear you for an hour. You need an unbiased opinion, yeah. right? Like your friends and your family are always going to be like, okay, well, not all of them. My friends love to call me out on my shit. <laughs> but like your friends and your family are going to be on your side. Right. But you need someone that's going to give you an unbiased opinion. That's like, I mean, was that the best thing to do? How could we do this differently? Yeah. Um, and I think it's also warranted to note that therapy can be a privilege because it can be really expensive. Right. Um, so navigating what that looks like and how to find something. And it also is a cultural thing. Um, a lot of cultures don't believe in therapy yeah. because who knows? It could be a race thing. It could be a religion thing. But I mean, it's it's there. It exists. And everyone doesn't like talk therapy. But I think that's the great part is there's so many different types 
of modalities that can be utilized with with talk therapy. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but would you mind um, explaining a little bit more the other types of therapy besides talk therapy? Because I have no way I've only ever done that type and I don't really know much about others. So somatic is where you are working with a somatic therapist. Okay. Um, and they are specifically focused on like your body in the sense of like how you're moving, where you're holding the tension. Um, there's lots of different like weighted activities, like holding things. Yeah. Um, a lot of like feeling yourself in your body. It also is allowing you to get back in your body to actually feel like you're in your body. Oftentimes people, um, often survivors feel like they are disconnected or they don't feel like their body is their own. Okay. So so that will allow you to get back into it, um, which is really great. And I love it. Yeah. Um, and then there is EMDR therapy, which it's really interesting. I think it's a bit newer. Okay. Um, not I think. I know it's a bit newer. Um, and it is um, rapid eye movement. So with doing EMDR... Yeah, it's from the the early 1990s. So with doing EMDR, there's different ways to do it. There are tappers. There are some therapists use like a wand. Some people use their fingers. And the way that it goes, it's really interesting. Um, You're doing it and the therapist will like ask you to think about a thing. It is self-led. Like you're doing it all. The therapist is there to support you as you are re-going through a specific type of trauma and they're not going to cover like a whole bunch of things at one time. It's small and sectional. Yeah. And what the goal of that is, is to make something that was super traumatic and make it, I'll say it like in layman's term to make it like bearable. Okay. So it, it allows you to be able to navigate it in a safer space. Yeah. Um, that can be really, really great. Wow. Okay. So do you recommend, uh, can all of those types of therapy be done with a couple? Um, these, these are things you do separately. Like this would be like one-on-one work. Got it. Okay. That, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, Cause it's, it's for the person that has the trauma directly. Right. Right. So talk therapy would be the one where you might want to bring in a partner, but the others would be something you would want to do one-on-one. Yes. Yes, definitely. Got it. So I want to talk a little bit about um, sex, but also just like personal sexuality and whether that includes just feeling sexual or being able to be turned on or masturbation, whatever, after trauma. And I know we talked a little bit about like there's so many different levels of trauma, but like I've even found that after like a particularly uh, emotionally abusive relationship that I – it's just very, very hard afterwards to, mm-hmm. you know, let someone in and be intimate with someone. And, like, it, it's hard because you don't – I've always found that I, like, don't want to put that burden on my partner by, like, explaining the reason why I'm not interested in that way in that moment. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you deal with sex after trauma, I guess, and, and, wa- and wanting that but not necessarily being there yet? Oh my God. I love that question. Cause that's one of my classes I teach. <laughs> um, um, I think the big part of it is when you are thinking about sex after trauma is to not just to not think about the sex, 
right? Because there's so much other work that you have to do before you get into the bedroom. So people show up to my class, they're like, damn it, what is, what? So I think there is first like finding the verbiage that feels good for you Yeah, um, is something to work on. Um, learning how to say yes and no okay. in ways that feel good for you. So like learning how to communicate those things because those are things we've never been taught. Right. So if something comes up in the bedroom where you're feeling unsafe, like knowing how to say no or yes. And then with that also, if you are dissociating, like learning how to communicate not verbally. So maybe like a signal or a color, like whatever works for you and your partner yeah. when you are in that level. Um, and then what I love to tell people before you even get to having sex with another person or fornicating, which is one of my favorite words, um, <laughs> have a date with yourself, right? Like your body after trauma is not going to respond, may not, I'm not going to say it's not, it may not respond the same way that it did beforehand. Yeah. So I always say, do a little date for yourself. All the little sexy things you like, like if you want candles, if you want some sparkling water, some wine, whatever feels good to you, but set the room up how you want. Go to your favorite restaurant, whatever. And then this is where you explore your body, try different temperatures, different pressures, things you used to like. Um, because sometimes those things you used to love and like you don't anymore. Yeah. And then there's the things you're like, well, maybe I'll try this. Do it with yourself. So if something goes you know, awry, you are in your own safe space and you know that you're okay. Yeah, absolutely. And what about, I feel like, I, I don't know how common this is, but if you're dealing dealing with or you have you're with a partner who doesn't necessarily understand that you might need to take steps like this and they're just like becoming mm -hmm. frustrated or i guess maybe impatient is that a red flag in mm -hmm. general for a partner it is five red flags um, <laughs> in the sense of if this person is rushing you when you feel like maybe you're not ready or you need to slow down that person is probably not the person for you because it sounds like they're not showing up for you in a way that you need. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, I'm like, oh, what now? Oh, you don't respect my back. Okay, well, this was not fun and I'm leaving and we will probably never converse again. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that is a red flag. If they just can't even listen to like your words, they don't deserve your body or your energy or your spirit. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break and then we'll jump back in. So another thing I want to talk about is the healing process. So I feel like once someone has understood that these things are affecting them, like where does that where does that process begin? Or is it different for every person? It's totally different for every person. There are some people that maybe were working on something else when the trauma happened or when it comes up. Um, I think the first thing to note about the healing process is there is no time to schedule. Um, a lot of people that I've talked to, they're like, well, my partner is, you know, getting upset because it's been five months yeah. or I, or I feel like it's been time already. It's been two years. Like there is no time schedule. Like everyone's body is different. Everyone's healing is different. Right. Um, and like I said, I wish it was like a whole thing. Like I didn't talk about my rape for, uh, like seven years. Wow. Um, I had started working on it uh, like five years after, but then I didn't share it with anyone like in my family and my friends yeah. until after. Wow. Um, but yeah, and it didn't change anything. It was still something I needed to work on. Right. It still took time and it still takes time. Like I, um, 
sharing, I was re-triggered last year. The person that raped me sent me a Venmo request. And as much as I know all the things, right? Like I've been doing this work. I know my grounding activities. I know my toolbox. I have my list of people to text if I need support. Yeah. It still threw me for a leap, loop and bed for three days. Yes, I had my people. Yes, I was doing the things, but it's still hard, right? Like the of healing course, process yeah. is ongoing. Even for a professional like yourself, who, like you said, knows tools mm-hmm. that can help you get through it. It's like, it's, it's still always going to be a work in progress. Yeah. And I say that not to scare people, but to be realistic, right? Like right. things happen and sometimes it pops back up and it hits you out of nowhere, but there are ways to manage it. Right. Absolutely. So I, I think that's important to also note, like shit happens, you may be re-triggered, but there are ways that you can get through it and you may navigate it differently than other times. Yeah, for sure. Um, another thing, kind of going back a little bit, because we talked a little bit about um, kind of like healing and learning to be intimate again after trauma is taking yourself on a date. And that brought up for me, we've talked a lot on the podcast about female masturbation and just like Mm -hmm. the differences between men and female um, and their experiences with masturbation. Like I know women who are in their mid late twenties and have never um, masturbated or not because they don't want to, but because the reasons I think are always what surprises me. It's like, Oh, well I, you know, I just, I'm scared to go into a sex store or I'm, I just, I feel shameful. Or for mm-hmm. me, I, I, I was a late bloomer as well. And I grew up uh, Catholic, which I think affects a lot. Um, just like, you know, very heavy Catholic guilt. And um, mm-hmm. do you think getting to know your own body through masturbation is just like important when before you kind of dive back into being intimate with someone else? Yeah, I, you know, I've met a lot of people um, that guilt and shame are, they suck. Like they, they will take over. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it can be really hard, especially for those that have never, you know, masturbated before or the ideals of it. Or if you touch yourself, you're going to go to hell. And I've heard it all. Yeah. Um, Fun fact, you're going to go nowhere. You're you're going to be okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You might have a great time. Um, And also the fears about going to sex toy stores. Um, I will say that I have lots of friends that work in sex toy stores. I have friends that own stores. I think the really cool thing is the people that work at the stores can support you. It's better than going on Amazon. Don't buy sex toys on Amazon. Everyone, don't do it. Um, but it's better than going to a store and just being like, oh, I'll try a thing. Going into a store, it may be scary. It may be intimidating, but you're walking into the hands of people that are trained, that know right. what the toys do. They know what's safe for your body. They can help you pick something based on your price point. Um, it, it can be really great. And I know it can also be really overwhelming. I remember the first time I went to a toy store, I was like, Oh, there's so much. Yeah, there's so so many options. <laughs> so many options. There's so many options. There's so many prices. There's so many colors. There's just so many. Yeah. And then going in there and not knowing, like, what do I like? What do I want? So for, I think one thing to think about is, like, are we looking for something internally? Are we looking for something externally? Right. And if you don't know if you want something internally, external is always a go-to. It's always great. Right. <laughs> 
Um, and then a lot of things, a lot of a lot of stores in general, if we're thinking about like going somewhere, they have testers. So you can be like, I don't know. Oh, I can test it on my hand or I can test it on my cheek. Great places yeah. to test like the sensations. Um, but I totally get the shame of it all. Um, but there's also Google. You know, it's my Google's free, your Google's free. You can yeah. r- look up like different toys or if you've never masturbated before, there are plenty of articles out there um, that can support you because you're not alone. If if you're listening to this right now and you've never masturbated and you're like, oh my God, there's others like me. There are. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's good to understand that, too, is like uh, once you even get past the hurdle of like the guilt and shame, it's like the kind of like the the fear of the unknown and feeling like, oh, my God, am am I the last person in the world to be masturbating? (laughs) And it's like, you're not. You're absolutely not. There's always other people out there who are kind of dealing with the same things that you are. No, not at all. Not at all. And there's probably groups that are, you know, going through different things. I think it's really important, like also to have people around you. Like when you are struggling with this, one of the things that I do and one of my other businesses, we do online support groups for sexual assault survivors. And thinking about that, we were doing in person. We were like, why don't we create something for people that are like, I don't know where to go. I don't want to go into a place that feels like cold. You can sit in your living room. You don't have to wear pants if you don't want. Do whatever you need to do. (laughs) But having support is super important. Like we talk about sex all the time in our groups. We're actually starting a new group on Monday. Um, But like we talk about these things because they come up and every group people are like, I didn't know where else I could talk about this because I felt so ashamed or I felt nervous. It's hard. It is. It absolutely is. Even sometimes with your friends, it's like you feel uncomfortable talking about certain things or fear of being judged or whatever. Um, And so I feel like that's why especially too probably um, forums and like chat rooms and things like Mm -hmm. even Reddit and stuff are so popular now because it's like you can ask those questions and be curious without having to, like you said, step into a room and and look someone in the eye and ask them those questions (laughs) that you've been wanting to ask. Yeah, I think there there really are so many different ways. There's text, there's texting, there's emails. There are so many different options now that I was like, damn it, I wish they had this when I was younger and trying to figure things out. Yeah, oh they even my have God, things specifically for teens. Yeah. So I'm like, they had none of this for us. So yeah, there is definitely a way to find support um, if you are nervous and like if you're like, I want to go to a sex store, but I'm still nervous. There's different blogs. There's, I know my friend owns a store, Spectrum Boutique. There's a whole journal section of different people that like write different articles that cover oh, toys, wow. cover masturbation. I have like, I have a few articles on there about trauma. It's kind of a beautiful thing. And then there's also the aspect of sex toys there. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's kind of like encompassing of like, oh, this is not overly scary. Right, right. And it's, yeah, absolutely. So anybody listening who hasn't masturbated yet, you're not alone, but it's not scary. And there's lots of ways for you to figure it all out. (laughs) There are. And if Um, you're like, I can't afford a toy, you can still masturbate. We all have showers. Right? Yeah, exactly. We all have hands. Another thing I wanted to uh, talk to you about that I noticed. So you are also a queer media consultant. Yes. So can you speak a little bit on what that means? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think it's funny. Um, in the sense that people just, you know, it's now it's 2020. 
why yeah. are we still assuming that all bi people just want to be in threesomes? Inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, yes. It's not real. If people are polyamorous, it doesn't mean that they're big sluts. Like right. it, it kind of, I'm working on trying to help the language around things and also making them more realistic. So when we turn on television or we open a book or something, we can actually see ourselves versus cringing. Cause I know there's right. a lot of things I'm like, Oh God, that's who does that? That's not real. Um, right. Like it's so close to you. It's so close to you being able to identify with it. And then they get one thing off and it's like, Oh, you're so <laughs> wrong. You're so uh, wrong. I saw it. I saw it. But look, that's where you <laughs> fell off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting um, to like have conversations with people. And again, it's also having conversations with people and talking to them versus talking yeah. at them. So okay. literally everything that I do, like if I'm teaching, if I'm speaking at a college, if I am, doing some type of consulting, I'm talking to people. I'm sitting down with you. I'm asking you, what are your questions? Like, what are your thoughts? This is a judgment-free space. Let me help you. Um, and yeah. I think that takes the pressure off so people can actually listen and then receive the information. Because if you're just talking at people, their their defenses are going to come up and then all of your yeah. hard work is going to be thrown out. Right. Absolutely. So are there any like common things that you notice in media that they're just even in 2020, still getting totally wrong? Um, yeah. Again, all people that are polyamorous are not skinny white folks. Um, right. Like that's hippies not in LA. Like that's not like the only type of polyamorous yeah. relationship. Yeah. Like these people have real lives. They come in all different sizes and shapes and colors yeah. and religions, all the things. Also, everyone that um, is bi or queer, however they identify, does not necessarily want to be a threesome or be your unicorn. Um, yeah. That's gross. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Um, like, also, like, having different things, like, even just asking someone what their pronouns are yeah. is really great to see in, like, media because just because I may present as a woman or present as feminine, I may not utilize those pronouns. So people mimic what they see off television. They're like, oh, this, right. oh, we should ask people, let me do that in real life. And that can start to change the culture. So just like small things like that, um, I have seen like, can be really helpful in media yeah. and just ha meeting people um, in yeah. conversation. One thing I wanted to ask specifically, because I feel like you're going to have a good answer for this, and I've been asking a lot of my friends, is <laughs> how you identify versus your firsthand experience. So I was talking about this with one of my roommates because so for a very, very long time since high school, basically, I have identified as bisexual. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, I have been finding myself attracted to um, people just completely based off of personality and I'll find out later that they're trans or like just more I'm finding myself attracted to basically anyone regardless of the way that they identify um, mm -hmm. and so I started to consider like oh maybe I am pansexual but my mm -hmm. my question lately to people I know who are also queer has been Am I, and I don't even know who, who makes the rules, but it's like, am I allowed or am I, does it make sense for me to identify as that strictly just because in my head, I'm like, I'm attracted to that person, although I don't have, because right now I am in a cis straight relationship. It's like, do, mm -hmm. am I allowed to identify as something? Am I allowed to change the way I identify based off of just changed feelings or does it, 
it's it sometimes to me feels like I guess like queer imposter syndrome because I don't actually have firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. I hear I you. Just, I, um, it's like yeah, it's, it's it's hard. I think that no matter who you are with it does not change your identity, right? Like I may be polyamorous, which I am, um, but I might just be in a relationship with one person right now, right? Right. But that does not mean that I'm any less polyamorous. I also went through just being like, oh, I've been straight. Oh, maybe I'm bi. Oh, I'm also attracted to this person and this person. Oh, you know what feels good to me because I also am attracted to these type of people. That is why I utilize queer. I may not have had sexual contact or relationships with anyone that is trans, but I have dated someone that then, you know, through their own discovery was like, oh, maybe I'm Um, non-binary. But that doesn't take away from my attraction and it doesn't take away from who I am. And so that is why I choose to utilize queer versus bi for me. Um, But yeah, I have only been with cis women or cis men but that doesn't take anything away. And so I would say like, just because you are with a man, it doesn't take away anything else from you being bi or queer or however you want to identify. I don't think anyone should be the gatekeeper of, well, you've only slept with two women. So I don't really think you're, but like, no, fuck you. You don't get to choose (laughs) how anyone else lives their lives or how they want to be, you know, called or label themselves. Yeah. Okay. That well, that makes me feel a lot better, and I hope anybody listening <laughs> makes them feel a lot better because it's a question that I've been asking so many of my queer friends. Because I'm like, am I allowed? Like, is that okay? Like, mm-hmm. if somebody asks me what I identify as, like, am I gonna get shit for saying that? But I guess it's like it all that comes down to just, I'm sure, just lots of issues that are not even have anything to do with that (laughs) and a lot of times when people a lot of times I'm like you probably have your own things that you need to deal with so maybe you shouldn't be that concerned about how what I'm doing as long as you are not harming anyone then you are fine (laughs) right yeah absolutely well I think that's a great place to wrap it up thank you so much for being on today I feel like I learned so much thank you for having me Yeah, of course. Um, I hope you guys out there listening enjoyed this. If you did, please leave it a good rating. It really helps me out. If you're uh, listening on YouTube, like this video and subscribe for more. And all the information you need um, will be in the links below. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Bye.